when we didn't have smartphones, when we didn't have a VPN connection that you could get to from home. Uh, you know, it's a totally different world today. So we need to start reducing judgment. Welcome to Change Your Mindset Podcast, formerly known as Improv is No Joke, where it's all about believing that strong communication skills are the best way in delivering your technical accounting knowledge and growing your business. An effective way of building stronger communication skills is by embracing the principles of applied improvisation. Your host is Peter Margarita, CPA, a.k.a. The Accidental Accountant, and he will interview financial professionals and business leaders to find their secret in building stronger relationships with their clients, customers, associates, and peers, all the while growing their businesses. So let's start the show. Welcome to Episode 7, and my guest today is Kara Saletto, who is the President and Chief Retention Officer of Crescendo Strategies. Business is changing, and so must every organization, if they want to retain talent. Crescendo Strategies, thought leadership, and best practices are changing leaders and businesses, preparing them to win the talent battle. The best part is that Kara is a millennial and spent more than 15 years in the millennial workforce. She's been named one of Louisville's Business First 2018 40 Under 40. She has authored three books, What's Next in Human Resources, The Millennial Mindset, and her current book, Staying Power, Why Your Employees Leave and How to Keep Them Longer. Now listen to the entire podcast and learn how you can receive a signed copy of her new book. A quick announcement before we get to the interview. My next book, Taking the Numb Out of Numbers, Explaining and Presenting Financial Information with Confidence and Clarity can be pre-ordered on Amazon, and the book will be available by the end of July. If you'd like to learn more about the book, go to the website, takingthenumoutofnumbersbook.com. All one word, takingthenumoutofnumbersbook.com. So without further ado, let's get to the interview with Kara. Kara, thank you so very much for spending some time with me today on my podcast. I'm so looking forward to our conversation. Thanks, Peter. Me too. It's good to have a fellow Kentuckian finally on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Even though you're 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 U of L fan and I'm a UK fan, I'm just, I'm sure we're going to get along fancy today. <laughs> yes, yes, I won't hold that against you, Peter. <laughs> Go blue. Uh, so, Carol, can you give uh, my audience a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. So, uh, my name is Kara Saletto, and I am a retention guru. I work with companies. <laughs> all around the country, all different industries to help them reduce employee turnover today. And we primarily do that by bridging the generational gaps and making managers more effective in their roles. Because as we know, most people leave their companies not, um, you know, not because of pay, but because of their managers and that they don't feel appreciated or don't have a great relationship with their supervisor. So that's what we focus on. And you can imagine with that being a hot topic, we are pretty busy right now. <laughs> I, I imagine you are because I think um, during this setting up this podcast and, and communicating with you, you were like overseas for a week or so. 
Yeah, so I did an international engagement down in Curacao, which is an island near Aruba, and it's just north of Venezuela. That was pretty exciting. The gentleman who booked me down there, he actually saw us speak, me and my training partner in St. Louis, but he was from Curacao. And so he asked to bring us down there. And I worked with six different companies and government agencies to help them bridge the generational gap. So it's not just a US thing, that's for sure. It's happening all around the world. Yes, it's very much international. And oh, John, was that like in February when it was like cold up here, just absolutely stunningly beautiful down in the Caribbean? Yes, it was snowing <laughs> when we left Louisville. And that was fantastic because we had to quickly shove our jackets in our bags when we got down there. And it was a beautiful week. Oh, I can imagine. And you're an author as well. You've written two books. Can you tell us what those books are? Sure. So we have a small mini book called The Millennial Mindset, and that is some stories about my childhood. I happen to be one of the oldest millennials, and so we talk about things like technology and respect for authority, uh, entitlement, which is everybody's favorite thing to say about millennials. And, And what that little booklet talks about is the backstory of why am I, as a millennial, why am I so entitled and why do I have no loyalty to anyone or anything. And I tell some childhood stories about, you know, real things that happened to me. My parents got divorced when I was young. My mom, who happened to be a corporate accountant, she got laid off three times before I hit college. And so when you're a child going through those things, you don't even know what loyalty looks like. And coming in as a worker then into a work world where my employer expected me to trust them and to stay long-term after I saw my mom work late at night and then get laid off. I mean, there's no guarantees. So that little booklet uh, tells a lot of those stories of how I grew up differently than the previous generations, which is a pretty good aha moment for a lot of managers and, and older colleagues even that really do not understand how millennials see the world so differently. And then I'm so excited to... Um, to announce that we just launched a new book this spring called Staying Power, Why Your Employees Leave and How to Keep Them Longer. And that book also has quite a bit of information about the millennial mindset and the evolution of our employees over the last 20 to 30 years in the workplace. And it, of course, focuses on specific strategies of how to reduce employee turnover today. Uh Outstanding. And we're going to get it. We're going to talk a lot about that book, but I want to back up to your little book for a second because on your website, you've got a, uh, about an 18 minute video of you giving this talk. And for those of you who are listening, we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes. Go watch this. One, she's funny. She's got some great stories, but <laughs> she really, she really frames that mindset. Oh, by the way, she, like she said, she is a millennial and, and which is not, a, which is a great thing. I just, I, I quit. I've almost I've almost quit using the term millennial. It's just the younger generation, right? Uh, because there's that stigma that has been attached to it, and I think that stigma is 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 incorrect. Yeah, unfortunately, it is really negative most of the time when people in the workplace use the word millennial. It has a negative connotation. Oh, she's so millennial, or oh, are we going to hire more millennials? Right. <laughs> you know, that type of thing. And of course, some people have a very positive thought of millennials, and that's fantastic. But we refer to them more as today's new workforce. 
Because what we find also is, uh, first of all, there's no one definition of millennials. People decide based on the research they do. So different researchers, Pew and Deloitte and the Bureau of Labor Statistics, they all just pick their own start and end time. So first, it's a little bit difficult to put a definitive definition on the dates and the birth years of millennials. And what we argue as well is it's not about your birth year. It's about your mindset. It's about the way that you were raised because sometimes I meet people who are younger than I am and they were raised in a much more traditional family, very hierarchical. Maybe they have a military background or they grew up in a small conservative town. They don't think like I do. <laughs> They're going to be more traditional for sure. Are those? Do you refer to them in the video as the old soul millennials or something like yes. that? <laughs> yeah, we call them the old souls. Old. And you know, it's funny because employers come to me all the time and they say, "How do we recruit more old souls? <laughs> we want people that we want people that just do the job and do what we say, and they don't wear leggings to work, and you know, things like that." Because the old souls tend to act and think much more like a baby boomer or even a Gen Xer, and so it, it's interesting to me to bridge the gap and explain, you know, stop stop saying millennial as far as a birth year, a group right. of people, you know, that are a certain age. It's really about people who have a different mindset. And I meet Gen Xers and boomers all the time who have a more millennial mindset, which is much more entrepreneurial. <laughs> you raise your hand. <laughs> yep. It's much more entrepreneurial. You're probably an early adopter for new things. You love change. Um, just different things like that that are not stereotypical boomer, which right. we, we tend to think, especially the younger people in the work tend to think that boomers are set in their ways and they're old school and you know that type of thing. So there, there's negative and positive um, stereotypes and, and things on both sides for sure. You know, I was uh, worked at a university for a number of years, and I saw how a lot of this changed because I'm we were getting calls from students' parents asking why little Johnny failed the test, oh. and we go, well, "Go ask little Johnny why he failed the test. Don't call us." And we were, we were all, I was also hearing stories from uh, some of my partner friends in, in accounting firms that if a candidate didn't get an offer, their parents were calling up to try to find out why. It happens so often now. And you know, here's what's funny. We can easily uh, judge those millennials and say, you need to grow up and uh, you know, you need to be more adult or stop being so entitled or whatever it is that we want to say about them. Mm -hmm. But the reality is the millennials don't know any different. Right. They, they only know a world where we get what we want when we want it. You know, we have drive throughs we have credit cards, we have Netflix and Amazon Prime two-day shipping and things like that. And so when we look at something like that about the parents, don't blame the millennial. Blame the parents. Right. <laughs> I, I used to say, I used to do some generational stuff and I would say the exact same thing. I'd say, how many baby boomers are there? It's your fault. You yes. raised them. <laughs> And then they start laughing. Go, no, not, no, no, I not, not my kid, not my kid. Yeah, right. Yeah. But, yeah. And I'm guilty. I, 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 my, my son's 17 years old and he's, he's at the tail end of the millennial. And the things that I saw, I, my wife, he was on a, a dive team 
And when he got a 12th place ribbon, I almost lost my freaking mind. Oh, <laughs> I, I had my wife said, get out of here. <laughs> I, I, that, that, I, I have both of those ribbons just to get around. But like you said, he's used to, well, now he's 17 years old, going to be 18 in a month. By the time the series will be 18, hopefully he'll have his license by then. Are you serious? I'm Still serious. doesn't have his license, right? No, no. He, he's got his he's got his neighborhood friends that drive him to school. Uh, if he wants some food, what you got Uber Eats, you've got DoorDash. I mean, come on. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, you know what? Might not be something bad about that. At least I know he's safe. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, a lot of the millennials are staying at home longer and or coming back to live in their parents' basement. Yeah. Uh, a lot of that has to do with student debt as well. That right. previous generations they had some student debt, but we're talking five thousand, maybe ten thousand dollars of student debt. And now you've got so many people coming out with thirty thousand, forty thousand, eighty thousand yeah. dollars student debt just from a bachelor's degree. Of course, they're going to go back and live in their parents' basement. <laughs> exactly. Start at an entry level position. So, yeah. That's that's a whole different ballgame. Yeah, it, it really is. It, but I've you know, I've worked with them for so long. I, like I said, I'm a baby boomer with Gen X and Gen Y tendencies. But I look at the I look at the millennials as a uh, an opportunity. I mean, they they are my my help desk, and I'm pr- I'm I'm pretty good with technology. But if I've got an issue, he's 17 years old. Stephen, can you fix this? Can you figure this out for me? He's yeah. got that kind of thought process he can figure things out and he's used i mean obviously they're used to they're used to using their thumbs they're used to technology and if they come into the workforce if they're hired by an accounting firm or corporation and they don't have screens to look at and they're not up with technology they're not going to stay they're going to go find that Oh, absolutely. Survey after survey that we have done or looked at, it says that they don't leave because of pay. They leave because of things like old antiquated software that is terribly slow to use and it slows them down as an employee and they won't put up with that. If you've got software that just churns and churns <laughs> or is is just difficult and clunky to use, that can absolutely cause turnover. As much as you think, oh, it doesn't matter and they just need to be patient and deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just not the case. They will leave because of that. They will leave because of scheduling issues. One of the biggest things that I've seen, particularly with CPA firms, uh, is the mandatory Saturdays. <laughs> Young people will not do mandatory Saturdays anymore. And so I'm seeing firm after firm after firm who had mandatory Saturdays during tax season. They've had that for decades. That was an expectation. And now what the transition is, it's not that they're it's not that they're expecting any less out of their people, but they're giving them flexibility to build those hours any time during the week. If they want to pull later days or come in on Sunday or Saturday night, work from home, wherever they can hit those billable hours, they can still do it, but they're not requiring people to come in from nine to noon every Saturday morning anymore because you don't have to do that. We have access uh, from afar now. Right. And I, I, in an earlier episode, uh, I interviewed two partners in a firm in Maryland, Adelion and Stang. And I, I got to know this firm, and it's they're really unique, and they just instituted uh, unlimited PTO. There we go. As, as well as um, 
Saturdays are not mandatory. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it goes, it just kind of empowers. They, they're still going to take care of the clients, but yeah. we, we, we've, we've, they even changed their mission statement to put, it used to be we put our clients and then staff. And now it's where we put our people first. And I know they'll take care of the clients, kind of like the Richard Branson uh, Virgin Airlines quote. Absolutely. And they're getting high productivity out of their people. And, and, and as the partner said, we, we're building this firm for the millennials because that's who will keep this firm moving into the next generation. So we, we're changing now. They built a new office in Frederick, open, very, you know, uh, uh, not tethered to the place. It's not collaborative, you know, probably. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a huge change today. And honestly, any of the firms who are set in their ways and they have old policies, you know, just long-term policies that they haven't revisited, those are the ones who contact me and say, we can't recruit anybody. And when we do recruit somebody, they're only staying one or two years or they don't want to be on the partner track anymore. What's the problem? And the old model just doesn't work any longer. A lot of the young people, they want uh, opportunities for advancement that are not just the partner track. You know, the partner track is like an all or none. Right. Plus, a lot of millennials, I mentioned earlier, we have, we have no loyalty um, as far as loyalty for loyalty's sake. Now, right. we can become loyal to a leader or to an organization, but we're not going to walk in the door and say, this is where I want to be for my whole career. Right. And even if I like working there, I may not want to be partner track because that ties me to that organization and those other partners potentially for life, for my whole career. And a lot of millennials just want options. They want flexibility and choices. Exactly. And as you're describing that, you know, I, I, two things came into my head. I really was a millennial early on in my career because I, I, my average length is, Tenure at an employer was about four years, and then I moved to something else. Moved to something else, so I was I was considered a job hopper back in the day. But now I, w- I was considered somebody who had a broad brush and, and wide variety of cultures and things to bring to an organization. Uh, but the other piece that, um, as as you're describing that, is I hear this. Well, it, they're just going to leave, so why should I invest into them? Ugh. Why should I? Why should I send them to the training? Why should I invest into them? Well, if you don't invest in them, and if we all have that same mentality, when they leave, when you recruit, you're not getting anything better. Absolutely, that's what I was going to focus on. Is for the greater good of the industry and the profession, you know, that we all need to step up our game on training. And there's that age-old quote of, you know, one one executive says, "Well, what if we invest in training them and they leave?" And the other one says. But what if we don't train them and they stay? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah. that's much worse. Uh, and I'll be honest with you too. Training now is not an option. It is not a perk anymore. It is absolutely required and expected and demanded from today's new workforce. So they want you to invest in their career. They want you to invest in their professional development, both technical skills and soft skills like leadership, communication, organizational skills, things like that. So it's really not an option. And what I saw happen was 10 or 15 years ago, at least, companies cut training and development. Mm -hmm. 
And that is so sad because it has now come back to haunt us where we promoted all these people's people into supervisor positions and just up the chain and even made them partner. And yet they don't have people skills. Right. to work with their team. They don't have people skills to work with their colleagues and then they upset everybody or maybe even have a toxic attitude or toxic behavior within the workplace that is just ruining the whole place for everybody. So very important that we reinstate more training. And there's so much out there now. There's online training. There's conferences and external seminars and programs you can send people to. And then a lot of clients, obviously, they bring in folks like us, right, Peter? And we come in-house and do that training. So I'm seeing a huge uptick in the amount of training that firms and corporations are doing because they realize they're they're kind of behind the eight ball on in many cases. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I'm prepping for a presentation I'm doing for the Indiana Society on the latest in leadership uh, from Harvard Business Review. So I've been going through a variety of, of leadership articles and there was one that said you're sometimes it says you're highly productive people, and I'm I'm butchering the title, a lot of times don't make the best leader. Mm-hmm. And to your, and to your point, they're, they're saying those early years we're, we're getting them technically sound, but when we put them in a role that they're now a manager to manage people, the mentality of the boomer is you you can oh it's just soft skills you can pick those skills up rather quickly when it's no you can't it takes time start early don't wait till later yes and some people that comes naturally for right other people they are coachable. Mm -hmm. And they can develop those skills. And some people are not coachable. (laughs) So (laughs) they might be, I mean, we we all know one of those people or a few of those people. And they may be the best at their craft. They may be the best technical person. But what I talk to companies about a lot is creating different career paths for those people. Because if you just say, well, you're my best accountant, so I'm going to make you this accounting team manager or something like that, or a department manager, even in engineering or nursing. I mean, it's the same thing with any kind of clinical or technical skill. You don't necessarily want to take your best technical person and make them the manager because because six months in, who's happy? Nobody. <laughs> the person, you know, the person who's been promoted, they were happy at first. Ooh, I got a promotion. I get more money. But then six months in, they say, oh, all these people keep bothering me. Yeah. I just want to be head down and do my job and do what I love. And I got to manage all these people and mentor them and deal with them. And then the people under them are saying, oh, man, I feel like I'm bothering my boss and he can't really help me. He, he can't mentor me or he doesn't have time. And I mean, that just doesn't help anybody. So instead, I love when organizations create multiple paths for advancement. And so you hear a title like senior advisor <laughs> or <laughs> something like that, which tells me that person is so good at what they do but they probably shouldn't be managing people. And that's fine because they can still be promoted and they can be a mentor or an advisor uh, for somebody else or for a team, but they don't have the direct responsibility of leading and managing others. Exactly. And when I think of what you're describing, because uh, I know there's, I know of one firm in particular that had a, 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 somebody work for, highly technical. Mm-hmm. But, they didn't want to put them in front of clients. Yeah. 
Ooh, that too. Smart as a whip, <laughs> technically sound, but and and as you say, he was he, this person was not he couldn't wasn't coachable, just wasn't in his DNA. But they saw that they saw the value in the person, and they kept moving him up the ranks until they they weren't going to make him a partner because really a partner is a salesperson. They're trying to get business. Yeah. But they made him. They may have called it a director or something else, and he resides in that role and is happy and 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 a value to the firm. But they they knew his strengths and his weaknesses, and they kept them. Versus, well, you're not partner material. We're going to let you go. You just that's a highly productive individual that's hard to replace from a technical standpoint. Right. So that's that's the argument. If you have a rigid hierarchy and a rigid structure that you are not willing to be flexible and creative to create the kind of position for that type of person, super valuable to the organization, but just because he doesn't fit into your mold and into your structure, mm-hmm. you would let somebody like that go? No way. We right. just put a buffer in between that person and the clients. You know, we make some kind of account executive or client relations person or you know somebody else who is a similar role but just better on the front side of things the front of the house and yeah you use that person to their ability put them in the right seat absolutely so when a highly productive individual comes in doesn't get these skills they put them in this role they get frustrated and they leave what does that cost the company what does oh. it cost what does it cost to replace that individual so much. I mean, even entry level folks, you're looking at fifteen to twenty thousand dollars of replacement costs. The higher their skill set, the the more specialized they are. We can calculate fifty grand, even up to a hundred grand sometimes that it would cost to replace and retrain and get somebody else up to speed on the company systems and processes and people. You know, the relationships that that crumble when that person walks out the door, all of those things. I mean, it's unbelievable costs that are that are happening. So really the firms, I mean, nobody can afford to let that happen. They can't afford to lose somebody great like that right now. And the the other piece of that is they can't afford, if they put that person in the wrong spot, if they promote that person to be people's managers, I guarantee they have more turnover than necessary under that person, that other people who are coming in, entry-level mm-hmm. folks or anybody who joins that team, mm-hmm. they get frustrated and then they're likely to go jump ship when all these other people are calling. I mean, you know, today we are in an employee's market. Right. It is absolutely the employee's choice, the candidate's choice mm-hmm. of where they're going to work. And so any employer or any leader that says, well, they're lucky to have this job. <laughs> That's just not true anymore. It is not true. We as the employers are lucky to have the talent we have and we have to try harder to meet their needs. Not not just bend over backwards for them and, oh, we got to put in beanbag chairs and ping pong tables. No, that's not... That's not it. What they want is they want flexibility. They want to be heard. They would like more transparency across the organization. I know a lot of staff get really frustrated when they feel like the partners are the only ones who know what's going on. Right. That 
nobody tells us anything. We're not privy to any information about the company or decisions being made. And I'll tell you, your staff all the way down to the new hire, they want to know what's going on. They want to be involved in those discussions and those decisions. Exactly. And I do have to make one statement here. I know we keep using the term firms and kind of pointing towards the accounting firms, but this also comes into play in the corporate world, in the corporate finance department. The exact same things that we're describing, they're seeing the same yeah. thing in, in those environments as well. So I just want to make sure that we you know, kind of address that. It's, it's not, you know, firms, are, they operate completely different from a hiring perspective as, as versus, you know, business and industry. But no, they're both having these same types of issues and, and trying to address them is necessary. Yeah, absolutely. Everything we've talked about is applicable and transferable over into those corporate finance departments. Yes. So what are you seeing out there on the horizon in your crystal ball? (laughs) That's a great question. You know, um, what I do see changing is long-term employment is a thing of the past. And so while previous generations, they had pensions and they had those those employer-employee relationships that were very long-term focused, I just don't see those happening near as much as they have over the past 30 to 50 years. And so what I encourage employers to do is to realize that the deep-rooted trees that we call them, which is somebody who's been in your organization a long time, they have deep roots and they're probably not going anywhere until they retire. But as those trees retire out of the organization, be prepared for that role or that position to transition over and become more of a revolving door position. Not that revolving door, it doesn't have to mean, you know, six month or one year people. It's not that kind of revolving door, but maybe you're only going to have people for three to five years or even two to three years in some positions Hmm. that we need to plan for that. And the thing is, it's not that we can't operate with that model. So many people push back and say, no, I cannot do what I do if people are only going to stay three to five years. Then the model has to shift because we can survive. We absolutely can survive with a different staffing model and meeting our clients' needs, but we have to face the reality that it's going to be very difficult to keep people even to the 10 year mark anymore because it's an employee's market. We have people poaching your folks on LinkedIn. (laughs) And, you know, so it's not even about somebody saying, oh, I'm so unhappy. I'm going to go find a new job. No, it's the recruiters who are calling and the other companies that will call and try to lure those people away as well. So you really have to listen to what your staff wants and needs. We have to... Uh, try to meet those needs as best we can and kind of compromise, meet in the middle on a lot of things, Mm. update our policies and understand that this relationship has to be mutually beneficial. They're only going to stay as long as they feel that it's a good place for them to work and you're only going to keep them so long as they're providing what you need as an employer. So it it has to be mutually beneficial and that's probably going to be somewhere between the three and 10 year range for most of your folks moving forward. Right. And I I think the more that you 
put these policies in, the, the, the more that you like, like the, the non-mandatory Saturdays or the unlimited PTO or, or whatever, and listen to your folks. I, and I had, a, I did a creativity session for, for a company. And one of the things was, how do we increase the morale in the office? And the CFO was part of this training and we were doing on post-it notes. And he handed me the post-it note and it said, say thank you more often. And I said, I'll let you address this. And he goes, he, he turned to his, to his team. He said, you know, we're so quick to criticize mm-hmm. and so slow to just to say thank you. I'm going to change that. I'm, I'm not going to overdo it. But when you go above and beyond, I'm going to make sure that I say thank you. And I'm, I'm going to try to hold my tongue a little bit on the criticism. Yeah. I'm going to take that one step farther, Peter, because you said that, you know, when people do go above and beyond, we should thank them. And I got to tell you a little story (laughs) because we were talking earlier about participation ribbons and trophies. (laughs) And, you know, that's one of the stereotypes about millennials. They go home with ninth place and 12th place trophies and things, which, by the way, not our fault. That was our parents and coaches' fault (laughs) for doing that. But what we see today, is that our new workforce, and this this includes people of all different ages, they get very frustrated when they do their job and they do a really good job and they are dependable workers and they do it day in and day out and they still feel like they don't get the appreciation they deserve for doing a great job. And so a lot of leaders are still thinking, you know, like we did 10, 20, 30 years ago. And they say, well, I'll say thank you when, when somebody goes above and beyond, mm. you know, if they stay late or they resolve a problem, you know, that maybe mm. wasn't even on their plate, but they helped and, and stepped up. So then I'll say thank you. But today I want to challenge your listeners. I want to challenge each and every one of you to turn up your appreciation dial and start to thank people for doing a great job, even if it is their job. Now, I know some of you are just cringing right now because you're thinking, (laughs) that's why they get a paycheck. (laughs) You know, I shouldn't have to thank them for showing up and for doing their job. But we know today that we have people who come to work and they don't do their job or they don't do a great job or they're not as dependable as some of the other staff on our team. And so you will gain so much more uh, loyalty, more tenure. You know, people will want to work for you longer if you show the appreciation that is deep down inside of you. Because I know that if you dig down, you really are thankful for the people who show up, who show up on time, who do their job, who do great work, and who take great care of your clients or any of the projects that they're over. So that's that's kind of a mind shift uh, and a mindset change mm. that I would challenge each of your followers to really think about. Yeah, exactly. It's it's that I, I when I sometimes I'm, I'm speaking to an, uh, an audience of CPAs and accountants, I ask them what business they're in. And here we're in the consulting business, or we're in the the, the 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 compliance business. So this, I go, it's a, I keep going, it's a byproduct. It's a byproduct. What is your main business that you're in? And I'll get them frustrated. Then I look at them and I say, you know, business you're in, you're in the people business first and foremost. Without people, you have no staff. Without people, you have no clients and customers. So once we realize that we're really in the human being people business, 
that's the most important asset that we that we need. And, and actually, Bob Pakanowski, and when I interviewed him, he took it another step. He goes, really, we're in the hospitality business. No matter what industry we're in, we're in the hospitality because we want to provide good service to both our internal and external clients and customers. That's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah, The employees should be considered your internal customers. Right. We talk a lot about that. And so if you think about all the market research we do for our external customers, that we figure out what do they want? How are their needs changing? We will follow the trends and get data and talk to clients about what do you want differently? What new services do you want us to provide? Mm -hmm. And, And we evolve for those external customers. And yet in many cases... We're still managing people and hiring them and have staff structures that we've had for 10, 20, 30 years. So we have to go to where the customers are, whether you're evolving your services and and the way you do things to meet the needs of your external customers, but also evolving for your internal customers. One other quick story that comes to mind for me is I was actually working with a law firm that the, uh, one of the partners said, I come in every day at seven o'clock and I've got this new attorney on staff who he's supposed to be here at eight, but he rolls in at 8.15, 8.30. And one morning at seven o'clock, I had a question for him and I had to wait an hour and a half to get my question answered. And I thought, why did you have to wait an hour and a half? He said, because he came in late that day. And I said, why didn't you text him or email him or call him or anything else besides wait for him to be in the office? If you had tried any other communication channel, you could have had an answer at 7.05 or 7.10. I mean, the the guy would have responded via text, call, or email from bed if he was still sleeping. Right, (laughs) right, right. Or while he's getting ready or while he's even driving to work, he could have taken the call or or in the Starbucks line or, you know, (laughs) that kind of thing. And so one of the things I, I think we really need to understand too is that visibility in your desk chair is no longer the equivalent of productivity today. And so that's one of those generational gaps that I see over and over again is that the older colleagues or managers or partners, they think that if somebody's late, they're not a hard worker or you know the first one in and the last one to leave. That's my hardest worker. That was the case 20 years ago when we didn't have smartphones, when we didn't have a VPN connection that you could get to from home. Uh, You know, it's a totally different world today. So we need to start reducing judgment. That's really what we've got to do to bridge the gaps is start asking more questions, listening, keep your eyes and ears open, and, and just quit judging people because they don't work or dress the way that you do. I'm I'm laughing. I'm I'm absolutely. And the reason I'm, I'm I'm laughing is as you're describing that uh, about the expectation of, of being in the office and working. I can still hear my dad tell me when I got my first corporate job. I was working in a bank. He said, "Son, I want you. You should get to work before your boss." And make sure your boss sees that you're already there. And son, you'd be the last one out. Or, or, or when your boss leaves, you wait 10 minutes and then you leave after them. And, yeah. and by, the, by the way, when you go to the bathroom, you take a file with you because it looks like you're busy and you're going someplace and you're working. So they can see, <laughs> they can see you doing that. And, and that, was, that was, I can still hear him say that. And 
you know, the cheeks in the seat process or mentality has gone away or yeah. it's start, it's starting to go away. Uh, and the other thing, going back to that internal customer, when I used to work at Victoria's Secret Catalog, not as a model, but thank you all for thinking about that. <laughs> One of the first things that they, they taught us was we treat our internal customer the same way we treat our external customer. Because mm-hmm. if we don't, and that goes to anybody within the organization, because if we don't, then they're going to hear their angst. They're going to hear their anger through the phone. Or they're going to hear their anger when they're out to dinner and they hear overhear somebody badmouthing the organization. So we treat everybody with respect and in the highest regard. And we have those crucial conversations when needed. Mm-hmm. But we treat them exactly the same way as our external customers. Right. And it's, I've, I've, I've gone to a few other companies that, that have that same mentality. And it is so critical that we have it. I, so I, a couple of years ago, I was having lunch with a partner, known him for a while. And I asked him, so how are things going? He goes, Pete, you know what? We can't beat them up like they used to, like we used to get beat up back in the day. <laughs> we can't beat them up like that anymore. I said, well, yeah. Well, actually, they shouldn't have been beating us up back then. Correct. But, correct. But that whole <laughs> mantra, people got to be nice to them and everything. Mm-hmm. And well, yeah, it, it's called a human. It is. It yeah. is. It's, it's really not a generational thing. Everybody wants to be treated with that respect. Now, a quick explanation of why people were willing to get beat up in the past, why they put up with that. The baby boomers were so much larger than the Generation X who came behind them. And so what could the Gen Xers do? They couldn't fight their bosses. They couldn't say, no, we don't want to wear pantyhose. You know? <laughs> or no, we don't want to follow that policy or, or wear a suit you know, or whatever. They didn't want that stuff. They pushed back on the same things the millennials are pushing back on now. They wanted work-life balance. They didn't want to work on Saturday mornings. But the Gen Xers were such a small cohort, they didn't have the strength in numbers to push back and to change anything. Right. So they put up with it. Plus, their parents taught them to yeah. put up with it. They said, mm-hmm. you stick it out. You make a commitment. You stay late. You stick it out. You mm-hmm. deal with a bad boss. Who cares? They write your paycheck. You know, right. Right. where the millennials were taught, first of all, we're a huge cohort. We're already bigger than the Gen Xers and bigger than the boomers. In two years, we will outnumber the boomers and Xers combined. <laughs> so heads up on that. <laughs> so we're huge and that's why we're moving things along. Um, but also, we, we live in a different world today. So with technology and we were taught to uh, push back on authority. We were taught to question authority. And if we see something, say something. And we should have our voices count. And that's totally different than the way the previous generations were raised. Because uh, my mom told me, if you're not happy, get out. Hmm. If you don't like your boss, get out because life is too short. And we translated it into, uh, you might have heard the phrase YOLO, which means you only live once. (laughs) YOLO. YOLO. Yeah, which by the way, it's not cool anymore. It's like so 2012. (laughs) But that's what a lot of the millennials think is like, oh, I don't like my boss. I'm out. I'm going to quit. I'm going to go work somewhere else. Everybody's hiring or I don't like my schedule or I don't like the attire policy you have or you know anything like that. They can absolutely walk out the door today. So 
the power has shifted and it's time for your mindset to shift as well. It, it is, it, but I, I, I know that some of the angst out there is I hear, how do you manage these different generations? And, and there's a, a, a firm in town that they acquired another firm. And from what I understand, the original firm had a lot of younger generation. Mm-hmm. And this firm that they bought were very much from the older generation. And there was no middle. Yep. And having a hard time managing the organization because the older generation, they're stuck. They don't want to move. The younger generation wants to move and they want to do. And trying to get everybody motivated and moving in the right, in the same direction has become a big challenge for them. Yeah. It's imperative that both sides see the other side of the coin. Right. So we talk specifically, and I evolved my presentation uh, in this direction over the past several years about generational differences is there's a spectrum and there's a reason that people have a more traditional mindset because they were raised in a day with only three TV channels. So you didn't have options. You didn't have choices. And then today we have Netflix and Hulu and Amazon streaming and you know all these other things where we have choices and we have drive-through windows and credit cards to go get what we want. So it's no wonder that people at those two different ends, even age-wise, they were raised completely differently. And once you share the other side of that story and you tell the managers... Well, think about the way the millennials were raised and the times in which they were raised with scandal after scandal after scandal hitting the media. I mean, Watergate happened before I was born. <laughs> so, Oh my God, I'm feeling know, old right? now. <laughs> oh, what a gut punch. Yeah, oh. sorry, sorry. But you know, since that time, we just hear over and over about people not, do, not being who they said they were or doing things wrong and, and illegally and stuff. So of course, we were raised differently. We don't trust anybody. And we don't trust the company to have our best interest at heart. You know, so once you share those stories of how our society changed and how the millennials were truly raised differently, it helps the older managers understand and build more empathy for the staff. Um, not, a, not in a fluffy way. I'm not trying to say, you know, oh, let's all just be friends and, you know, uh, all of that. But as a leader, just understanding where people are coming from. And then the same, sharing that m- message of the spectrum with the millennials. They have no idea how business had been done for the past 30 or 40 years. And when you say... Well, you know, my dad told me to be the first one in and the last one to leave. I'm just going to like shrug my shoulders. That doesn't make any sense to me because I have a three-year-old and I go back to work after he goes to bed at night. I'm a hard worker. I work a lot of hours, but I'm not sitting at a desk from nine to five. So, you know, just sharing those messages and really explaining the spectrum and the fact that there's no right or wrong. There's no right or wrong, whether you have a more traditional mindset or a more millennial mindset. But what we do have to do is get along. I mean, we do have to work together and, and the managers and partners, I mean, they have to figure out what's going on in the millennials' heads if they're going to keep a solid staff and get that staffing stability they need to provide um, all of the services for their clients. Exactly. And I, I, hold on one second. Uh, Kara, were you, were you born when I was in office? This is President Clinton here. Were you, were you born when, during, my, during my administration? <laughs> I, I think I was actually born with Reagan. Okay, um, I, yeah. I feel better one, now. One or 
earlier. I barely remember Reagan. <laughs> Clinton is really the first president I remember. No, no, like yeah. I remember him being president. So that was pretty much it. But yeah, I was born in 1981. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> okay. So uh, there's the second gut punch, <laughs> Uh So as we wrap up, there's one last topic I want to hit on. Okay. And because it's it's effect, it's going to affect a lot of professions, especially it's going to affect the accounting profession, is technology, artificial intelligence, and the the and Watson. And I don't have to crunch numbers. I don't have to. I have to understand them, but I don't have to. I, I've said this, that Excel will be extinct in about five years. Uh, they will never need another 10 key again. And they still, that's blasphemy when I say a 10 key, they cannot. Some people go, what's a 10 key? You know, that adding machine with the tape uh-huh. on the desk. But as technology continues to evolve, we're, the, the profession is going to be changed to more of a consulting role versus yeah. a compliance role. And talk about a different uh, set of skills that we've already talked about becoming even more important than ever before. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, my CPA and I just had this conversation last week. She just made partner at her firm and she said that a lot of the work we do will not be necessary in 10 years. The the actual number crunching, like you said, mm. and she knows that. So first of all, their firm is staying on top of the technology. They are early adopters on getting where they need to be to be the cutting edge uh, group to meet their clients' needs. But also they are starting to partner with and acquire more of those consultative services type companies. They're starting to offer year-round services and even things about uh, HR compliance and um, the any type of solving business problems, the financial services beyond just the tax side of it, right. um, but a lot more services. So we absolutely cannot rest on our laurels and think that the model we have today, the staffing model is not going to be the same. The technology we're using is not going to be the same. And so we have to think about what does our staff need to be in five to 10 years? And what is that for our clients? You know, How are we going to serve the clients in that time? And what are the skill sets and the structure that we need to have to do that? So I encourage you to keep your eye moving forward. Even if you're, you know, say five years from retirement, there's going to be a lot of change in the next five years. And if, if you just say, well, I'm on my way out, I'm just going to coast and the next leadership team can deal with that, you're really setting that group up for a very difficult time. Please do not coast. Please do not hold anybody back from the changes and the advancement that we have to make, whether it's the technology advancement and new systems and processes, or it's the staffing changes and it's new leadership models and a new staffing structure. Um, Please don't hold anybody back from making those changes that we're going to need to be competitive and to be sustainable over the next 5, 10, 15 years. And sustainable is a big word that... uh, that we have to evolve in order. If we don't, we're going to die. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, you know, we, we've been talking about this technology for a number of years, but now we're really seeing it. We're seeing the impact of it, of artificial intelligence, of blockchain. I don't understand blockchain. I'm, I will. I thought it was an intestinal disorder. Found out it's not. Uh, but what, what, I, what I do see is that, that what we do 
moving forward is going to be so different. And if we're waiting for the universities to provide us with the students, uh-uh. no, we, <laughs> we have to, I think companies are, are seeing this now. They're going to be responsible for teaching that student all of this other stuff that the uh-huh. universities are not doing. And the university, that's a whole other conversation, how they need to change on what they're doing. But that's like moving a battleship on a dime. Yep. It's become more of the employer's responsibility to talk about business writing and talk about the, these interpersonal skills and doing all this other stuff. And that's just kind of the way it's evolved. You're exactly right. That responsibility is going to fall onto the companies. And that's why you have to start implementing more training now on the technical side as the technology changes and of course compliance and regulations and things are always changing we have to do that mm. but we have got to improve our soft skills and and even just the creative thinking and innovation that we bring in those types of things um, but definitely the people skills we've got to bring back more of that training yes we do and uh, before we leave prior to us recording this Kara has a special gift for our listeners. So would you like to share that with them? Yeah, absolutely. So we are going to offer a free autographed copy of Staying Power, Why Your Employees Leave and How to Keep Them Longer, which is my new book. We're going to offer a free copy. So what we want you to do is go on to Peter's social media for the Change Our Mindset podcast. Go on to any of his social media platforms and tag yourself, tag your friends, leave a comment. And after a week, we will then pick one lucky winner from his social media to receive that signed uh, copy of my book. So we hope that you enjoy that. And certainly tell your friends if any of you are dealing with or struggling with employee retention or managing and understanding millennials, then definitely you'll want to get a copy of the book or reach out to uh, to Peter and I. Great. And, and thank you for doing that. I greatly appreciate that. And I will also, when I put this out on my social media, I'll also write about it uh, in it to remind you of this giveaway. And um, I, I can't thank you enough for taking time. It's an absolute pleasure meeting you. Uh, you're the nicest U of L person I've ever met. <laughs> Good. <laughs> and, and I'm looking forward to uh, probably seeing you in at Influence in, in, in Dallas. And I know you're coming to our chapter and I'm looking forward to that as well. Absolutely. Thanks. It's been a pleasure, Peter. Thank you. I want to thank my fellow Kentuckian, Kara, again, for sharing her message on how to retain today's new workforce and letting us inside the mind of a millennial. Now, I do need to correct myself on a mistake I made in the interview. Kara is actually the second Kentuckian I've had on my podcast. And the first one was Kathy Fayok. In episode eight, my guest is Owen Weiss, who's a financial controller of Thompson Concrete Construction. In addition, he's currently the vice chair of finance for the Ohio Society of CPAs executive board. Thank you for listening and begin the process of changing your mindset and getting out of your comfort zone to develop new skill sets to become more future ready. Your call to action is to look at your retention strategies and decide if it's time for a tune-up. And always remember, part of being future ready is being an improviser. Yes, and I'm out.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.